Here we go. Welcome back to Clearing Corners. Happy Independence Day to everybody. I think we came, last time we came on, what was it? Father's Day? Yeah, if that's the day. Yeah. I can't remember. You told me something about my son's not sweeping. You were correct. Yeah. And I was accurate. You were accurate, but I'm still a happy man. I'm really happy, actually. Worked out. Take me back to Charles Barkley's time. Got a couple new guests here today. We got Joe. We got Sean. We're going to talk a lot about what they do and their expertise, but we really appreciate you guys being here. Um, you can say hi. It's all good. Yeah. Happy to be here. You've been working on trying to get us here for a while. For and a while. I keep canceling on you. <laughs> wasn't my fault this time, Cam. <laughs> I know you like giving me that look. It ain't my fault this time. It's all good. We're starting at 730. Right. Is it 730? Arizona I said time. Eight. Arizona time. That's true. He's got to figure it out. That's time. right. I don't really. Look, 730, 830, whatever rolls. I think, yeah. Save that for another time. I've got a little clip that I want to play here. Uh, we'll discuss it afterwards. Uh, we put a little feeler out there on Facebook as to what we were going to talk about today. And the two that are here are experts in that arena but go ahead and listen, and we will talk about what we're going to be discussing. After stumbling across a suspicious scene, this was on a dark and deserted road in the Mississippi woods. Uh, he escaped with his life, but only after he was able to, to, to trigger some kind of button around his neck, releasing his canine officer from the back of his patrol car. So let's go live now to Jackson, Mississippi, to Therese Apel, uh, breaking news reporter at the Clarion Ledger. And Therese, first of all, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks for having me. Let's set up the story because it's pretty incredible. Um, tell, set the scene for me. How did the ambush happen? How many people were involved? And then the canine. Well, Deputy Fraser was, as you said, on a dark road in the Mississippi woods, and he saw a car that had stopped on the side of the road, and all the lights were off. So he just stopped to, to do a welfare check on the driver. There was one man inside the car, and as he approached the car, two other men ran out of the woods, and um, as he started to backpedal, he fell, and all three of them jumped on top of him. Um, during this time, he was able to trigger the, the pop mechanism for the, the back of the car that had the canine officer in it, and the canine, whose name is Lucas, was able to get out and got a good chunk of at least one of the suspects before they got away. Um, the miracle of that, the sheriff told me, is that they have four canine officer units and only two of them have that pop mechanism. So had he been in one of the other ones, he potentially might not have been able to get away with his life. Is that what they're called? Uh, is door, it a pop? Door popper. <laughs> door popper. Yeah. It's just a mechanism on a hydraulic that pushes the mechanism and pops that door on a hydraulic hinge. That's one of story after story you can find online, internet, just talking with canine officers. Um, kind of shows how powerful of a tool these canines are, which is what I want to what I want to talk about. And to give a little credit, I told you I'm a equal opportunity podcaster. That story itself came from CNN, and. That was back in 2015, and there was more to that story. That was during the time, if you guys remember, 
there was a lot of street gangs um, that were targeting law enforcement officers and part of their gang initiation or orders that they were receiving from a lot of the, the higher ups in the gang was to shoot on site. Um, that was linked to it or they were trying to link it to it. It's not really what we're talking about though, but again, CNN story gave a lot of love to the canine. Um, and obviously that officer I'm sure is in debt to that canine dog, uh, that canine to come out and take a good chunk of one of those suspects legs before he took off running. Which is, is sad if you, if you think about it, cause there are countless stories like that nationwide. And unfortunately there is in some States currently right now, there are legislators pushing that they no longer want police canines, which is, I can't even imagine that. And we're going to talk about that. Keep that in the back of your mind. We'll build up to talking about this legislation, dangerous legislation and, and it's dangerous in a lot of arenas for law enforcement, but because we, we are specifically talking about canines today, that's what we're going to focus on. And again, if I forget, or if everyone forgets, we need to circle back. I did it. I brought, I did it again. It's too early. How often do you shake your head on every episode you do? It, yeah, if I mean. people could see how many times <laughs> Cam shakes his head at me, I would be... <laughs> Look at sometime we'll video it. Yeah. So take us through. So uh, give a little background as to how you guys got into canine, how you got to a point where you're like, that's what I want to do. Um, give a little little story as to how you both got into it. Yeah. Well, interesting enough, Sean and I actually got into canine at the exact same time. We met each other in a training program for for canines is where we introduced ourselves to each other. And uh, it's been a uh, love-hate relationship ever since. Yeah, it's good to be with two other people that have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> I would, me, it's nothing but love, but Cam gives me love-hate all the time. Yeah. I don't, mm. yeah, see? <laughs> That's accurate. You can't even get a, not even a cracked half smile. <laughs> you know what I mean? So how did you decide, Joe? And then we'll go to Sean. How uh, did you? Uh, for me, I actually grew up in... There's a, a friend of our family that grew up and was uh, an administrator for an agency out of California that uh, he created the, the Canon program for that agency, retired as the captain overseeing that, that program. And the whole time I was from younger growing up listening to him, he'd have all the pictures out of all the dogs and all the handlers, and he'd tell stories about the different experiences and kind of how they went regards to that. So when I got into law enforcement, uh, I always knew that that was something I was wanting. That's one of the main drives that I got into law enforcement is to run a police canine. That's what I always wanted. What about you, Sean? How did you do it? Um, so pop those up for a minute. Um, when I went through the academy, I've always been terrified of dogs. i didn't growing up, I didn't have dogs. Neighbors had dogs, terrified me. Um, but once I went through the academy uh, for my intro to law enforcement uh, or my law, my basic training, um, they bring the dogs to to class and show them off for a few hours and stuff. And by the time it was all said and done, I was like, "That's what I want to do." 
uh, when I got back working at my agency, I, I got set up as a decoy and fell in love with it and been doing it ever since. Nice. And just so the, our, our listeners understand, we, we recognize that there's a lot of training that goes into it. And it's not like a police vehicle where a lot of departments just leave their vehicle and go home in their personal vehicle. I mean, these, these canines become your partners and they, they you, part of your family. Because you take them home, correct? Yeah, we're actually with uh, canines more than we're with our own family. Because they're with us at home, and they're with us all day at work. So how, talk a little bit about the training, and then we'll go into the different types of dogs. Because I know a, I, I've had a lot of family members, a lot of friends that ask tons of questions about canines. And I'm not the one really to ask. I'm like, I know that there's a ton of training. I know that they have to put in a ton of work with a dog. I mean, you can say it's just constant training um, and, and communication with the dog, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the key. You're going you're gonna to go to these training. You're going to become familiar. How do you get to a point where that dog recognizes you as the handler? Uh, well, a lot of it's just the, the bond is the most important thing with, between the handler and the canine is they got to have the, the canines got to have that trust and understanding of what my expectations of them are in reference to what I'm expecting them to do. And I've also got to know what my dog's limitations are and weaknesses are so that we can help train those out of them. And it, it's interesting because excuse me, I've, I've, I've actually had a couple, couple dogs in my career and it's the same thing. And you see the newer handlers when they get with a dog and it's, you go through initially, between a six to eight week uh, course per discipline that you're doing with that dog. And a lot of handlers, you'll see them, newer guys, they'll get their dog after that six to eight weeks and they're like, well, i got a good solid bond with this dog. You know, we're meshing. And I tell them, you just wait. Look at your look at yourself this time next year in 12 months. Look at where you and your dog are going to be. And you just get, every year you get closer and closer to where it's, you just mesh with that dog and they know what you want. They know what you expect. And, and, uh, it, it all comes together and it, you know, you're working on different things. And like you said, it's, it's training quite a bit. And that's where the bond comes from. Cause you're, you're constantly pushing the dog past its weaknesses. You're saying, Oh, you're uncomfortable with this scenario. Well, we're going to slowly work you into it to where it's no longer a, an issue. And we're going to move on to something else. And I think that bond ultimately is what makes a canine team so effective in, in what they do. In the, the situation we just listened to, the officer's in trouble, um, pops that door, the dog exactly knows at that point what needs to be done. The dog and knows to come to the handler. Yeah. And that, it's, that's it's, the it's benefit inst- of that pop. It's instinctual. And, and Sean can highlight a lot more on, on situations like that. He's lot more well-versed in, in that apprehension side of things. Because you mentioned, you mentioned there's about six to eight weeks per discipline. You, you called it per discipline. So for the listeners who, who have no idea how this works out, explain the disciplines that canines are used so for. So it just depends on what, what you're wanting the dogs to do. Ultimately, we're not do, teaching them to do anything that are not instinctually bred. That's in their genetics. They just hunt. Either they're hunting man odor, they're hunting drug odor, or they're hunting explosive material type odor, um, or in the in the sporting world, you teach them to hunt bird odor, 
correct? It's all the same thing. Right. right. Um, so as a narcotics detection canine, I've got to teach that dog what odor specifically I want that dog to hunt, locate, and indicate to. And that's one discipline. Uh, uh, explosive detection canine, that's similar, similar to uh, narcotics. You're just teaching different odors. Whereas on narcotics, I'll teach my dog maybe five, six odors, right? Uh, explosive detections, they can go up to, I've, I've heard of handlers that have up to 32 odors that they've taught their dog because of the different combinations That's you can crazy. make on explosives. That is absolutely amazing. So, and then in, in, in the apprehension side, you're just teaching them you're hunting man odor. So Here's what's crazy. I, so I, I have no idea, and maybe you two can answer it, maybe you can't. I've always wondered how many disciplines are out there. Um, I know of one that even assists with the special unit that I'm a part of with the internet crimes against children. Yeah, there are, dogs. yeah, there porn are, dogs. it's absolutely crazy that they can mm-hmm. be taught to go and sniff out electronics that are hidden in it's, a house. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just it blows the material that, you know, flash drives or hard drives are made of. You just teach the dog. That's what they're looking for. Cause the dogs don't know. Dogs don't know what, what drugs are. They don't care. They don't know what explosives are. They just know that if they locate the odor that I've taught them to and they behave a certain way that I've taught them to, they get the toy. They get to play. And that's all it is. It's a game that's of what hide they want. to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what they want. When they find the suspect and they follow that man odor, say, like on a track, they're just playing. That's amazing. Essentially, that's, so that's do you guys know how many disciplines are out there? I mean, you could put a discipline on anything you teach yeah. a dog to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> have you been in the airport lately? You guys gone through the lines? I, I think they literally have COVID sniffing dogs now. Uh, they do have medical sniffing dogs, so I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. That's crazy. You got dogs that can, in, in the service world, you got dogs that will detect if a person's about to have a seizure. They just smell that chemical change in the human body, and they'll, they're trained to alert that person you're about to have a seizure. Uh, so that they can prepare for it, so it doesn't endanger them. You got dogs that are cancer-smelling dogs, diabetes, all all kinds of stuff. I mean, that is nuts. We as human beings, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, it just bit me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We as human beings, honestly, I don't think we exactly we fully don't understand the potential of what these dogs' noses are capable of because they're just so. Advanced? Advanced. I mean, that's genetically what they're designed to do. Their whole snout, nose, and brain are designed specifically to process odors so specifically. You look at all the things that they've come up with for our job, you know, new tools, technology, everything that's out there, drones, uh, robots, stuff like that. They still haven't, I mean, after all these years, what, since really the 1940s is when Mm -hmm. dogs really got going, um, and they still haven't replaced it. You know what I mean? We're almost a hundred years later, and we're still we're still rocking the dogs. So. And we're finding more reasons to use them. I think they're amazing. I think yeah. they're amazing. I, I mean, I don't think our listeners who don't know as much about this uh, two and two is going to equal four. You can see why law enforcement loves the the canine mm-hmm. uh, program and the reason that we we fall back and utilize their specialties, their superpower. Really, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's it's. On multiple levels, because you're talking about a dual-purpose dog, essentially a dog that is trained in suspect apprehension and dope or bombs, whatever the case may be, explosives. 
you add a dog onto a shift of officers. Now you've got a dog that can detect drugs, that can help you in your investigations uh, drug-wise. You've also got a force multiplier that can and has saved officers' lives and kept officers out of significant danger because of their mere presence. I've seen, in my career, I've seen individuals that are high on drugs and amped up fleeing officers I, uh, that are telling officers, I'm willing to take a bullet, just shoot me, shoot me now. They're willing to take a bullet and the dog shows up on scene and they say, get down on the ground or you're going to get bit. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm, 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 I'm done. I'll, I'll take a bullet, but and not yeah, a bite. Yeah. A, a person that has told you outright, shoot me, shoot me. They're willing to die for whatever reason. Dog shows up, game over. Don't even have to bite him. Which is interesting to me because uh, just that tool in and of itself, here they are ready to die and have a law enforcement officer um, take their life. But on the flip side, just having that that presence yeah. and then the the here's what's going to happen from the handler, mm-hmm. and then they comply. It, that presence itself just saved a life, and yeah. that that's that's awesome. That's an awesome tool, and, and that's that's the end result. And limited forces used ultimately in the end game. You know, we're not wrestling with this guy now. He's complying and laying on the ground, allowing us to go up, and without force in a fight, endangering officers and that individual, we're able to safely take him into custody simply because the dog is just there. That's it. You have nothing else other than the dog is just there. That's crazy. Speaking of force, a couple questions for you. Where does uh, deploying a a patrol dog for an apprehension, where does that fall kind of like on a force continuum? And what are situations where you do deploy your dog? I'll let... uh, I'm going to let the expert over here, Sean. Um, so it's situation dependent, right? Um, when you start talking force continuum, um, it's below, right there, below deadly force, right? Because obviously there's the potential, right, for, for the injuries. But um, the situations, you know, we, we, we rely heavily on Graham versus Connor, right? Uh, crime threat and level of resistance. We got to go through all that stuff. So as you're going to these calls, you've got to weigh all that. You know, are you are you going after misdemeanor? Are you going after felony? Like, wh- what are you what are you coming into? And and I think that's a, something that a lot of people when you know when when I show up with the dog, they're like, hey, uh, we had this guy run. We need you to deploy your dog. And it's like, well, what are we doing? Well, he, he stole some beer from this gas station. Well, yeah, hey, we're not gonna you know we're not gonna roll our dog out on that because there's not the, the threat to the community or to officers. So it's, it's really, we've got we've to take everything into account. And so the first thing when a, when a handler rolls up on scene, he should be gathering that information. Hey, what do we got? Try to get suspect intelligence if we have any. And, and what's a threat to the community and to, to law enforcement if this person's not apprehended? And so, I mean, that's everything we do in law enforcement, though, right? right. Like, we should right. be working on that Graham versus Connor standard. Um, and so, I, I mean, me personally, I've, I've apprehended uh, uh, several people from from um, stolen vehicle pursuit type situations all the way to attempted homicide. Um, I worked a little bit with, uh, it wasn't ICAC, it was a different organization, but used my dog in in that. And, you know, it's like Joe was talking about, when you get up and and you give those challenges to somebody and people just, hey, I'll fight you all day long, but I'm not going to fight your dog. And so they'll, you know, they'll follow command. So, Throughout my career, I've I've definitely had a lot of apprehensions, but but 
I've only sent my dog actually a handful of times. So that's awesome. I, I actually I love that example. We're we're, we're trying to educate uh, all of our listeners on exactly what law enforcement does, uh, especially with the tools that we use. And I, I really appreciate the example that you say uh, someone goes and, and does like a beer run and they they just have beer and then patrol officer says, hey, we need you on scene because we're we're trying to chase them down, whatever the case may be. You as the handler looks at that situation, you're like, nah, no way. We want the public to, to understand that we have these discussions in law enforcement. Um, Joe, I know you're you're an administrator now, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> being being of rank, right? And you understand that that these conversations are always happening, mm-hmm. even on scene, even when we're not dealing with a canine. We we are talking about what is going to be best for this situation, and how to de-escalate the situation, not escalate it. That's a constant, and, and so I, I definitely appreciate you guys bringing that up. Um, sometimes, even as uh, an officer myself, I don't even think about things like that. Um, well, going back to, you know, as a canine handler. Being in law enforcement, especially nowadays, more than ever, you have a certain amount of liability that's associated with all your decisions that you make. And, and, and like you said at the beginning of the, the episode here is, you know, takes a lot of training, right? And you hear it from guys all the time, oh, canines, man, they're just always training. They're always training. And th- there's a reason for that. Absolutely we are because uh, with a with the handler, your liability is, is twofold. I mean, you've got to worry about not only the decision in, in deploying that dog, but you also got to to know that your dog is adequately trained for the situation you're putting in because you're putting yourself in certain liability. If your dog has never been trained and prepared for that situation, you could be setting yourself up for failure and liability in that sense. So not just is this the right decision, but is my dog ready for this this, this situation? So and that's, I mean, that's huge. Just not the liability. You have to answer to your administration too. Yeah. Like you guys are the professional, you're the handler. There's a lot on your guys' shoulders. So I, I mean, it's it's good that you do as much training as what you uh, as what you do. Well, yeah. when you look at it, I mean, so our program is 320 hours per discipline, right? And so being a dual dog handler, that's essentially 16 weeks. Um, when you go through the academy, you're it's a 15 week program. You know what I mean? So just canine just for your basic training is a week longer than, than what that is. And then we're, we adhere to eight hours of training, well, four per discipline a week after that. So for me being a dual dog handler, I'm trading eight hours a week, every week, year round. Whereas with law enforcement, you got to maintain 40 hours just to keep your certification, right? So it's constant. It's not just a one-time right, thing. So we're basically yeah. getting that once a month. Uh, or, or what a, a regular officer's yearly required training we're getting in one month, you know what I mean, or, or just shy. Um, and then we have to we have to redo um, a, a skills test every year. we got to show proficiency with our dogs um, to judges. and, and So they have to judges. re-up every year. Every, every year. year. Yeah. Every yeah. year. Every discipline every year. And, so and on top of that, you have to show that I've maintained the required hours of training every yeah. month. So the judge will look over your, your documentation and say, okay, you have been keeping up with your training, you know, so on and so forth. And if you don't have that documentation, judge won't certify you. And then you've got to redo it all with your dog. Man. That's a lot of training. This might be a dumb question, but is experience required as well? Do you have to 
show how much you're getting or deployments or anything like that? Or is that stats you kind of keep for your agency to show that it's still a needed program? In, in regards to your certification, you mean? Uh, just in general, like I know like our canines, when they deploy and there is uh, drugs found, you know, they'll document that. And Oh, yeah. Anytime you deploy your dog, it's documented in some form. Uh, there's different programs. Um, it's been argued between agencies and handlers. There's only, it's, it's said among canines, there's only one thing the two can, canine handlers will agree on, and that's that the third canine handler is doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, we, that's the problem with canines is on top of training, your life exists the training and documentation on a regular basis. So, I mean, for example, I'm going on vacation, well, I'm on vacation, um, but as part of my vacation, I still have my dogs I got to take care of because I got a retired dog and my current dog. Um, and I still got to get my training in. You know what I mean? So even though I'm on vacation, I've got to pause somewhere and go and get my, my time in. So it's a, I mean, it's all the time. Wow. Wow. So just focus. Now you, is your canine a, a dual purpose? Yes. And And so our listeners know apprehension and and narcotics. And narcotics. He's really good at narcotics. That's what I want to transition into a little bit. Um, so on the narcotics side, I think is is what, and Cam, maybe it's different for the people that have talked to you. Like I said, they, it, it's almost been a constant throughout the years. People ask me about the canine and, and case law, and I'm just like, man, I'm, I am not the right guy. Um, if you remember when we were working the same shifts, you know, when, before you were, uh, didn't become an administrator, like uh, when he was still a cop. Back when <laughs> both of you were still cops. Hey, stop it. See? <laughs> See what I'm he was looking for that jab and he no. Yeah, exactly. He but you remember when we were on, I, I used to ask you a lot of questions, whether it be case line. It was for my own knowledge, because every time that I asked you to come in and assist me, whether it be a traffic stop or an incident, it it, it seems like the majority of the people that asked me questions had to do with narcotics. And so what I want to pick your brains on and for you to educate our listeners what can a canine what is the case law behind narcotics what can a canine uh do and not do what can a handler do and not do in terms of arriving on a scene because you know we all have keyboard experts and then we have individuals that we make contact with out on the street and they know their rights right and i'm doing air quotes they know their rights what can a canine do in terms of narcotics what what is the case law behind what they do, what they cannot do. Yeah, actually, there's, there's, that's the other part of being a canon there is how, mu- how much case law have you read in the last, what, eight years we've yeah. been a canon? Yeah, keep buying new editions of books. Yeah. Does it keep changing? I mean, it's yeah. like oh, constant, constant, right? Constant. It's just like constant. our laws. Yeah. yeah, constant. So, you know, that's, it's really good. And I can kind of walk you through a traditional traffic stop. The big, the big thing with traffic stops is that uh, officers are learning. And, and you talk about the training. Courts recognize that these dogs are so dependable and these dogs are so accurate that they're recognized as an enhanced tool. What they're deemed by the Supreme Court is they're an enhanced piece of equipment similar to infrared or enhanced sensors like that because they're so good, they're so powerful, right? Um, <coughs> so talking about some of the changes, uh, one of the r- more recent changes dealing specifically with like apartment complexes, when I first got on, it was a constant thing where I was constantly asked, Hey, come run your dog. We're at an apartment complex where it's open to the public, right? right? It's 
standard apartment complex and they'd say, hey, we got information on possibly this unit. Can you come sniff your, have your dog sniff this unit number? When you say unit number for the listeners, I mean, basically think of a hotel, motel, apartment. It's it's running the dog right by the door, right? Yeah, like, so you got a big building and you got multiple different apartments in it, separate units, but all the units are outside and we'd get calls like that. And and right as I came on is right about when it's uh, Florida versus Hardinas came out. And basically in that, uh, the court's deemed because the dogs are classified as an enhanced piece of equipment, like x-ray or infrared. You're not allowed infrared. Say you're investigating somebody having a grow operation. You're going to be looking for heat. You have to have a warrant to use that piece of equipment to look for the heat off the house. Well, they deemed the dog the same way. It's an enhanced piece of equipment. And even though it's an open public area where people can walk around the apartment complex, that door essentially is their the threshold leading to their private residence and they have a heightened expectation of privacy based on that and because of that similar to infrared and other devices you can't run your dog on somebody's private residence without right, a warrant right wrong or indifferent that's what the courts uh, decide you know and, and again there's i bet you there's a lot of listeners that are going to listen to this and shake their head and be like well that's crap it is what it is and that's how the the court interpreted it yeah. so and, 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 you know, you get a warrant, which is interesting. You have to have a warrant to run the dog in the house. But if you have a, a warrant to, r- to run the dog in the house, you probably have enough to get a warrant to search the house. So the dog is obsolete in, in that type of situation. I wouldn't say always. One thing I know in law enforcement is you never use the word never or always because right. it changes. Change. Yeah. yeah. Same scenario on a car out front in the parking lot. Uh, well, it depends. Like I said, are we talking private residence, like a home? Or are no, we talking in a same par- like an apartment complex okay. or a hotel? Yeah, um, that is that is different uh, because there's no that that heightened expectation of privacy no it's longer exists on the vehicle. Right, it's almost like the car being on the street. Right, I mean that's how I would look at it. A lot of that depends too. Do you have permission and authority to be where you're at? Essentially, hotels, motels, uh, apartment complexes. Pri- it's private property essentially. Correct. Yeah. Uh, managed by a company or an entity that manages that property management company or a hotel motel whoever owns that yeah got it and and where where we work our handlers have i don't know about where in sean's place but a lot of place we have good working relationships with a lot of the property managements and stuff in some of these complexes who have outright already told us you have permission to be in our parking lots and running your dogs in our parking lots you know you're always going to have different viewpoints, and, and for the listeners that are kind of following with that, when, when property management companies or owners allow us to come on the property for something like in the parking lot, um, they may get mad at that, but you have to understand motels, hotels, apartment complexes do not want narcotics on their property. Who would? Who would, exactly, because you have the ins and outs of either people buying or a lot of different criminal activities occurring with that. And so really it would make sense from a law-abiding citizen standpoint that says, I'm not going to hate on a property management company or an owner of a, of a building complex to allow the officers to come and, and do their job and sniff something out if need be uh, to stop yeah. that illegal activity. And, and as a property manager, you want that place, and you have families in these, in these places, you want it to be as safe and as good of a quality of life as can be for the children and the families that are on these complexes. 
and that's their job is to make sure that these individuals have a safe place to live. And yeah, they, they're they're in in where we work, and our Canaan handlers have really good relationships with these property managements that they they love it when we're there. And a lot of times in these situations, um, it's not even just us running the the cars; it's just our mere presence that discourages that type of behavior. Maybe they'll take that us activity, somewhere else. Yeah. 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 So, but uh, so take us through a, a traffic stop, both of you. So you you said you could take us through a standard traffic stop. That this is obviously for the listeners. Um, there's going to be times that you're going to see a canine out at, at doing work, and and it it's eye popping. It people stop and stare, yeah. probably more so than anything. You guys have a lot of uh, cell phones pop out and just watch you guys. Yeah. Uh, please in general, but take us through a, a regular traffic stop as to what happens, you guys being called over, whether you make the traffic stop yourself. How about we do this? You guys are called over by another officer. Tell us exactly or tell our listeners exactly how that comes about and what goes down when you guys arrive. The, the big thing for me that I always, I wanted to never know anything about the stop. You know, I, I don't take the time, and you shouldn't, take the time to go talk to that officer and say, who do you got, what do you got? Because Essentially, it shouldn't matter, right? If I trust my dog's right. abilities, my dog either detects the odor of narcotics or my dog doesn't. Either the odor is there or it's not. And my dog is trained to detect narcotic odor. Uh, my dog, uh, they were both trained to detect the uh, six odors, which was meth, heroin, cocaine, uh, marijuana, shrooms, psilocybin, yeah. Uh just the common narcotics, illegal stuff. And uh, so I, I, I don't want to know anything about who's in the car. Uh, I don't want to know about statements they made, where they're coming from, because... Do you guys find that cops, like other officers do that, they immediately start running their mouth with oh, a absolutely. brief you? Because that's what we yeah, do. I mean, absolutely. It, when you come on scene and you need to know something, mm-hmm. it, it's very common for officers to start spitting out stuff, and you just have to put them in their place and say, look, don't tell me, or yeah, the, what info do you want? I usually just... The, the common thing when I would walk up on a car was I'd just tell the officer, are you good on your detention, meaning that you're not unlawfully prolonging the stop for me to get here and do this? So are you good on your detention? And is there any animals in the car? Because some dogs have adverse reactions to other dogs, um, and it could be a safety thing. Um, but Or sometimes the other question would be how many people are in the car, just for my safety. Um, and this, again, this differs, and I don't know, Sean can elaborate how he would run, but I typically run on empty cars for my safety and my dog's safety. Um, so when you say empty cars, that's you pulling everyone out of yeah, the car. Anybody inside the car, anybody inside the car, they're going to get out of the car for, for most part. Like there's been several times I've had stops where there's children in the car. The kids can stay in the car. The adults are going to come out. And, and reasons for that is when I'm running my dog, I'm not – watching per se as much as I should on traffic or what the people in the car are doing. I'm running around behind the car. I'm running around in front of the car. You're paying attention to the canine. I'm watching to see, cause I have to identify and articulate the behaviors. Cause my dog's obviously not going to turn to me and say, Hey, there's dope in this car. I can smell drugs. I can smell marijuana coming on, or I can smell heroin coming out of this car, whatever the case may be. Obviously my dog's not going to say that it's based off my dog's behavior. I have to articulate my dog's acting natural and normal now. Now there's a distinct behavioral change in my dog. I can tell you my last dog that I ran, her behavior when she's on narcotic odor, very distinct. Her muscles tense up. She lowers her head. 
she pulls her ears back to, and it's almost like she's stalking that odor, like she's stalking the prey. Hmm. And she would get focused. She'd close her mouth and she would detail. And then you'd hear her give several purges of air, which is essentially the dogs will do it all the time in order to help them process odor. They'll purge that air out and take in fresh samples that they can process more deeply and they get more focused and intense. And her body would actually quiver and shake out of the excitement because she knows I found the odor and now I just got to do what dad taught me to do, which is give my final indication and I get paid and I get to play. So I'm, I'm watching for those odors and for that's why I pull, especially the driver, pull them out of the car because I definitely don't want to be running my dog around the front of that car and then knowing they've got eight pounds of heroin in the trunk, put that car and drive and run me over. I don't want that to happen. So I pull them out of the vehicle, (coughs) which there is case law. We have them lawfully detained for my safety and their safety. I am legally able to tell them where they need to be and go while they're lawfully detained. So now, is that something that's common with handlers? I mean, do you yeah. also you want a you want an empty car? Yeah, you yeah. There, I mean, there are um, there are other agencies that'll run it, you know, different. But I think for the most part, us in in our area and and throughout, uh, we pretty much run that way. So it may not be the car. I mean, it, just off the top of my head, I would think that if you have multiple people in a car, what if they have that dope in a pocket, and maybe the other individuals in the car did not know that that individual had the dope in their own pocket. It would make sense to me that you would want everybody out. I mean, does that make, is that accurate? Essentially, it doesn't really matter. I'm not worried about dope outside of them trying to destroy it, which they have done in the past, but I'm not necessarily worried about that. It's, it's a safety thing is why I'm pulling them out of the car. If they want to get out of the car and try to ditch their dope, odds are if I'm, if my backup officers are doing what they're supposed to do, they're going to see them try to be watching that. Yeah. And it's happened on numerous occasions. In fact, it's kind of interesting. When I first started running a dog eight years ago, we found dope all the time in the car and drugs inside the car. Um, and then as more dogs started coming, when I, when I got my dog, there was three dogs in the area that I was at in the, in the county or area that I worked. Now we have 10. So there's more likely countywide that if you get stopped there's probably going to be a dog that's going to show up on scene because there's so many of them now in countywide not just with my agency but countywide and uh so as years went on and and dogs started showing up which they hadn't prior to me getting my dog in that time they learned oh uh dog's going to get getting a smell on this, the cops going to search my car. And that, that's the next aspect. So they did start taking the dope out and they were trying to ditch the, the evidence outside gotcha. of the car, knowing that what, if our dog indicates, it essentially tells us that we have probable cause and we're, because the vehicle is mobile and they could drive off at any time with our evidence, uh, the warrant is not needed and we do get a search that car based on our dog's indication. Uh, yeah, so when the, the dog indicates, we... The courts recognize it basically that um, they are so accurate that we it's probable cause based on a dog's indication that the, the probable cause meaning there is or has been a crime committed, you know, which is the possession or distribution or whatever the case in illegal narcotics. So um, now I kind of lost my train of thought again, but so on a on a typical traffic stop, and this is this is where it comes in. So 
backing up to we run on empty cars. We have lawful authority to, for their safety and ours, explain to them, you're lawfully detained. I need you to stand specifically right here. Which I would think is one of the biggest keys to anybody on a traffic stop as to why why are you allowed to pull me out of my car? Yeah, and we get that all the time. Yeah. And, 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 and a lot of that, though, in their defense, and that's why I tell people just calm down because they naturally think, hey, I'm going to run my dog around. Like, I'll tell them flat out. I'll come up to them and say, hey, you mind just stepping out of the car for me, please? I'm going to run my dog around your car. And naturally their thought is, oh, I didn't give you permission to search my car. Right, right. And understand, I'm, I, I'm not asking to search your car. I'm, I'm going to run my dog around the outside of your car, which is not a search according to the Supreme Court because all the dog essentially is doing is smelling oxygen and air coming out of your vehicle. And right. if that air happens to smell like drugs because there's drugs in the car or has been drugs in the car, then there's no violation of your privacy. You have no expectation of privacy to the air that's coming out of your vehicle. So, so once we have an indication, probably the next big after, how, why are you guys allowed to pull me out of my car? The next one would be, what happens after a canine indicates on a vehicle? So typically, I just I, I'm 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 one of those that's very honest with the individual. I tell them these are the odors my dog is trained to locate. My dog is indicating, explaining that basically that means that there is odor present, and and we tell them there's odor present, not necessarily drugs present, and I attribute that to the popcorn theory, right? Because you pop, your kids pop popcorn at your house and they eat all the popcorn. What does your house smell like for the next little bit? Mm-hmm. Popcorn, right? Magnify that by a hundred thousand times. And that's what a dog's nose is capable of. So if you're a regular drug user and you've used drugs and you use drugs in your car, you may not have drugs now, but what does your car smell like? To drugs. a canine, yeah, yeah. it's going to pick Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And they can, and it's been proven that these dogs in, in studies that these dogs will pick up on this residual odor for a length of time, depending on factors, of course, if the surface is cleaned and, and not, which unfortunately not a lot of drug addicts are too worried about cleanliness on a lot of things, but right. Um, so, and we tell them my dog display this behavior. That means that my dog is smelling drug odor. One of these six odors. I don't know which she behaves the same on all six odors. It's one of those. Do you have an explanation? And, and at that point, when you have the indication, you know that something is there and yeah. you receive the answers that you have. And we just going back to, hey, I don't want you going through my car. Do you need a warrant? No. And, and that's what our, li- this is for our listeners. When a, a canine indicates on a vehicle, do you guys need a warrant to get in that car? No. As I explained, it's the vehicle exception where it is mobile. They can leave that scene in any given moment. And there's exigency in regards to being on the side of the highway or side of the road. And uh, no, it is not required. We already have probable cause that a crime is or has been committed based on our dog's indication. So, and that's through the courts. And we go back to the the citizens may not like the fact that that doesn't make sense. Why an officer just can't run it by an apartment or a motel room or a hotel room? The courts have decided that again they can't do that. In this same yeah. manner, the courts have decided that you do not need paper once a, a canine well, indicates and I, on and a I, I tell people this. Look at it this way. Is it okay for somebody when you're sitting in your house to come in and look through the windows of your house? Is that okay without your permission? Uh, I don't like people looking my windows through my house, right? I have a higher expectation of privacy me sitting in my house. It's my private property. If I'm driving down the road, somebody looks through my window in my vehicle, is that okay? 
I have no expectation of privacy. Right. So there's actually laws that prohibit us from obscuring our windows on our vehicle, allowing people to see into our car. So it's essentially the same thing. There's the expectation of privacy there is just not there. Anything to add to that, Sean? Anything that has to do with the traffic stop that you think that you may do a little different than Joe? No, I think Joe pretty much covered it. I'd like where we've come up together, we pretty much do same hand in hand. So kind of the same training, everything like that. Yeah. Um, and, and coming full circle, I wanted us to be able to talk about what you brought up in the beginning. Um, anything that has to do with law enforcement right now just seems to be controversial. And there's a lot that's, that's being attacked. Uh, what about canines in terms of what's, what's being pushed, trying to be pushed? on the legislative side that could end up being a thorn in a canine handler side? Uh, well, a number of things. Like I said earlier, there is, in some states, there is actual legislation where they're trying to push to eliminate the dog altogether. They don't want police to have access to a canine anymore. They don't want dogs to be trained to apprehend violent individuals. They don't want dogs to be able to go around and sniff for dope. They just don't. For whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, but there is legislation in some states that they are trying to push that agenda and push that mindset, unfortunately. Um, they're one of the more recent ones, and I haven't heard any specifics recently. Maybe Sean can, can elaborate on this, but one of the more recent ones is in regards to our training hours and what's required there. And I feel we, we're struggling now to meet the requirements with our training. I mean, it's, it's hard. Please to tell get. me they're not trying to up it. They are. There has been wow. talk of that happening to, uh, to now instead of an eight hour, uh, training for a week. It's, they're talking what last one I heard was almost two days worth a week. Wow. You're going to take your canines off the street for, for two, two days. days a week to, to, to train them. When an officer typically only works four yeah. days anyway, and you're on a rotating 12. Yep. So I, I mean, how, how does that even, how are you utilizing the tool that is an awesome tool on the streets where you're going to take it half, half away each week? That I'll say it doesn't make I any mean, sense. The unfortunate thing is, is, is we're here not because of great cop work, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. The, the unfortunate thing is, is there's people that have made bad decisions that are affecting the rest of us. And it's like what we've seen across the country, instant knee jerk reactions, you know, and, and we'll just we'll just have to see where it where it takes us. That's the unfortunate thing. So hopefully, you know, I, I think that the program that we use, I mean, it's it's bona fide. It's it's backed by Florida v. Harris. Um, we're 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 considered a bona fide institution through the Supreme Court. And I think that. Um, you know, that's what, that's what we're going to fall back on and, and that's what we're, the standard we're going to hold. And if it changes, then we'll just have to make do. I mean, it's, it's tough for smaller agencies because we're already clearing guys off the patrol schedule to go and train, you know, and, and I don't know, it's, it'll be an interesting world. And that's the thing uh, that I wish as legislators, they would look at more <coughs> on some of our representatives is, uh, there's been some recent things that I've seen lately where, there, like Sean said, there was there was some bad decisions made, and instead of them saying, "Well, this is," you know, they shoot the flock. This general, this this one person did this bad thing, and 
now it's just blown up. And th- this is what everybody does. Whereas, like you said, we're, we adhere to a set of standards established by the program that we're certified under that's bona fide, recognized by the courts. And I wish, my hope is in the future, instead of them saying this guy did this one, realize he's not holding himself up or that specific agency or that division's not holding themselves to the, stab- to the standards that have already been established. And those standards don't need to be changed because this guy made a mistake and isn't holding himself to those standards. And they right. they need to look at that. And I, I can tell you, from my years of experience, what I've seen on, on all the disciplines, this program is uh, that we fall under is legit. It it holds us to a very high standard to the point, like I said, you know, Sean elaborated on early. If, if we're not maintaining that eight hours every week, we won't even be eligible to test for our certification that we're required to take every year. We just, we have to maintain that. And if they're sitting there telling us that there needs to be more, which is unrealistic, the only thing I can see of them pushing that is that it gets so unrealistic that their hope is that agencies will pull away and say, we can't afford to lose guys for two days to train a dog. We're just going to walk away from the dogs because we can't afford that anymore. Some of these lobbyist group want that. Some of these politicians want 100%. that. And that's, that's why they're uh, going after it that way. Is that the biggest thing you guys see is training? Is there other legislation yeah, big, that's big coming? Yeah, big push on training and certifications, just trying to make us certify more often. And Yeah, and I think there's – I like things like this. I think you guys are doing a great job here. I like that we – it's, it shouldn't be a secret how law enforcement works in any aspect of things. That's what um, Cam and I have taken the position. It's like we, we, we hear all this transparency. I know, I know Cam and I have talked about it over and over yeah. and over again. Transparent, transparent, transparent. That's what people want, right? They think that we're hiding something. They think that um, uh, city councils and mayors and, and uh, administration, chiefs and, and uh, use of force uh, councils have backed us mm-hmm. relentlessly throughout the years. We're trying to tell people that that's not the case. And, and there are checks and balances along the way. And, and uh, we've said a thousand times over that we are harder on ourselves than yeah. anybody else. I think education is the key in order to kind of stem some of this bad legislation uh, outside of, you know, doing bad cop work and doing bad things. Um, education, I know, and Sean can definitely attest to this as a canine handler, one of the things we do the most is we're going to schools and public demonstrations and we're showing people this is what we do. This is what the dogs do. This is why we do this, you know. And and I, I've loved those forums, especially when we go to, like, the high schools and you run over these scenarios with these kids and, you know, you got that guy, I know my rights, quotations. Mm-hmm. They know how to say I know my rights, but do they know their rights? And it it uh everybody knows their rights i yeah. can everybody no. does knowledge everybody. is power right That's right <laughs> so watch the video on facebook i'm good <laughs> <laughs> i googled it but you know things like this and going to those schools i, I love that part with being a canine handler was being able to go to the schools and teach the kids essentially these are these are your rights this is what you can and cannot do and this is why i can do this in this instance, and this is why I can't do this in this instance. I'm not here to hide anything. I, you know, we all swore an oath uh, to uphold everybody's constitutional rights. I, for certain, wouldn't want my constitutional rights violated, and I'm not going to work every day to violate other people's constitutional rights. It's like rights. a broken record. We, <laughs> we say that over and over and over again. It's amazing to me that we, as police officers who have been given that right by the states, 
to take someone's freedom away. When we arrest someone, we are literally giving, given by the law the ability to take someone's freedom away and, and put them somewhere where they uh, no longer can do and everything no small day in thing. and day out. That's and no it's, small it's not a small thing, but yet we're the ones that scream and say, we love rights so much, we love civil rights so much, um, because we understand them. We understand how it, it feels to take someone's freedom away. And that's one of the things that we're pushing mm-hmm. is that we, we're trying to tell people this is, we love it and we don't want to violate it. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the education. And, and, and bringing that to the, to the canine world, one of the things in regards to training is that we, we make sure, because I don't take it very lightly that I can tell you if my dog indicates on your car, I'm going to search your property. And I'm going to search it for drugs. And uh, I'm going to do that without a warrant because my dog granted me probable cause based on my understanding and, and training with that dog, knowing I don't believe my dog smells drug odor. I know my dog dr- smells drug odor and that there is drug odor present because we train so regularly with these dogs. And, uh, it's shown time and time again. My dog does not indicate to tobacco. Okay. My dog does not indicate to the cheeseburger. And people tell me all that. Oh, they're just smelling that cheeseburger in my incense. car, man. It's incense, right? Joe. Yeah. It's incense. Yeah. You know, oh, it's just my gym shorts or I got a dog. You know, I got a dog. Your dog's just smelling my dog. Well, my dog is smelling your dog. But, but it's also smelling the narcotics. And my dog it. only behaves that way when my dog is smelling drug odor. It doesn't behave this way when it smells another dog. In fact, I can tell you how my dog, and I can articulate to them, when my dog smells another animal odor, I can tell you exactly the, the behavior my dog does so I know, get off that animal odor and let's start sm- smelling dope. Yeah. Because we train with these dogs. Like I said, we're at home with them 24-7. We're at yeah. work with them. And I know you're not fluffing it uh, for our listeners. I've worked closely with Joe um, for years, even before you became a canine handler. And uh, I know you do a thorough job (laughs) in teaching people exactly why you're doing what you're doing. And it's no different when you were a canine. Sean, you do the same thing. Are you uh, maybe less administrative? Yeah, definitely less administrative. When you... You're borderline administrator. <laughs> borderline. Still not administrator. <laughs> but do you find yourself, do you, do you take the time to educate the individuals along the way? Um, let them know exactly why you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think it's important, you know, that they know um, what, I, I mean, I'm like, Joe, I, I'm not going to hide anything from you. We got to do what we got to do. And <clears throat> we're real big about, at our agency, we, we teach all new uh, officers that we get. We teach them, we we sit down and do a PowerPoint presentation. We go over the laws and go over all this stuff that we're kind of talking about today so that so that the people that we're supporting understand what we can and can't do. Because um, the worst thing you can do is, is get somebody out there trying to explain, oh, well, the dog's doing this, and, and they use the wrong verbiage, and now you're in court trying to have to defend Oops. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so we, we try to just educate everybody, and, and, and that's on both sides of it, you know, and, and – because, like Joe said, I, in fact, when you dropped the cheeseburger comment, I had my last uh, or two pipelines ago that I got. That was the first thing when I when I uh, explained to the the female passenger what's going on. She's like, "Oh, well, I got a cheeseburger right there. That's why your dog <laughs> did what it did." And it was yeah. like, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we're gonna go ahead and do that." And she's like, "You know, you could just see the defeat instantly." Yeah, and they then, know. 
So they got to know. And it was COVID, you know, I've got COVID. So it's all. of course they picked up on COVID. Of course they did. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, I think that was a pretty good episode. Pretty educational uh, when it comes to canines. Um, this is from a uh, former handler, now administrator, administrator over the canine, canine just, program. Just keeps poking keeps, those keeps stabs, man. And, and then a current handler as well. He hits me hard. He hits me so hard all the time, all the time. Um, but anyways, this these are two individuals who know what they're doing. They're talking about um, how canines are supposed to be deployed in the correct way. Um, and... I think the big thing we need to take home with this is this is how the program's supposed to be done. Every once in a while, you get that handler that does something wrong, and and we're getting some knee jerk reactions, and we agree that those issues need to be addressed. But they're the but, small percentage. Yes, this is a majority of the way uh, canine handling goes. So I appreciate you guys clearing the corner with us. Till next time. Piece by Dallas, make it hurt.